the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is produced and distributed through a partnership with AV Nation and Rave Publications. For more information, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 35, recorded Friday, March 30th, 2012. Weighted Knobs. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. This is AV Week. AV. AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. I'm your host, Tim Albright. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, this week joining us is George Tucker from... Uh, World Stage. He also has his own blog, and he's on Twitter, at Tucker2s. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hello, all. Uh, Matt D. Scott is in the snowy London, Ontario, Canada. That's what you get for living in Canada. He's also from Omega Audio Video. How are you? Oh, I was doing better until that intro, but thanks for reminding me. Yeah. <laughs> That, that it's snowing outside? <laughs> that it's snowing, yes. I'm in, hiding in my Or that you're Canadian. Or that you're Canadian. Both. He's not Both. Canadian. <laughs> He's not Canadian. He just lives there. Uh, Tim Schnabel uh, from Extron Electronics. He is the Director of Education Programs there. Afternoon, sir. Greetings, everyone. And last but not least, birthday. This is the second week in a row we've had a birthday boy on. Birthday boy, Chris Tatton. He's the Senior Systems Program uh, for HB Communications. Uh, a senior systems program. I'm sorry, a senior. I know you like to do that, but thank you. A senior system. It's his birthday, so right now he's the only one. Last week we had on uh, Kevin Iselli on his birthday, so yeah, we're going to have to just see whose birthday is next week. Uh, this week we're going to talk about BTX earning the Sapphire Certified AV Solutions Provider for Infocom and what all that really means. Uh, picking a streaming device and projector. Or flat panel. We're going to go around and, and have a couple rounds of that. But first, speaking of rounds, uh, this feels kind of like a, a title bout with Kaleidoscape and the, the DVD CCA. But here uh, recently, another round, as it were. Uh, this again comes from our buddies over at CE Pro and Julie Jacobson, who just has <laughs> she has a bee in her bonnet about this whole this whole thing. And um, basically, not for anything, but but the Kaleidoscape stay was denied, and they say, doesn't matter, we're still going to keep going. Uh, George, last week we talked about this, and we asked if it mattered, and Rich Fragosa, our buddy from the West Coast, said, no, it doesn't matter, we don't, we don't care about DVDs anymore. Uh, so I'm going to start with you. D- does this whole fight matter, and where do you see the end of this fight? What's the end game here? Yeah. Hey. Sure. Give me the softball question to begin with. Um, you know, I, I, you know where's it going to end is when we finally can get to streaming. Although I think there's a big debate about universal streaming, as it were. Um, I think even on that same Julie Jacobson article, there was somebody, I think Robert, <laughs> a guy named Robert, who was ranting about how don't go for streaming. It's not the, the same quality and you lose all of your rights. They're, they're, they're big corporate monsters are trying to take away all your rights and they want to charge you for every time you view the movie. I think that's where it's going to end is when people stop buying DVDs. 
And I don't think that time is too far off. Uh, I know that I am no longer really buying DVDs for my kids. I don't own a Blu-ray player because I don't really watch that many. And all the kids stuff is really on DVD, which is cheaper yeah. or streaming. So I really just go streaming and my kids watch as often as they want because I've got the plan. Um, no, it's not HD. No, it's not 1080p, but it's 720p and they don't care. So I think that's really where it's probably going to eventually stop. Although the big debate here is the bickering about the legacy gear. People are reading the ruling saying, no, you can't even fix your stuff or upgrade it for any reason. And Kaleidoscape is saying, yes, we can. And I think that's where the big debate really comes into play. Well, Matt, is this a yes, I can, no, you can't type fight? Or does the DVD CCA, from your point of view, have any leg to stand on? Can I just say it's a stupid fight? Sure. Because I think it is. It, it's it's ridiculous. It drives me crazy. St- okay, hold on, hold on. Stupid from whose angle, though? Stupid from Kaleidoscape or stupid from the DVD CCA? From the DVD CCA. Or everybody. And, and kind of everybody, but mainly the DVD C- CCA. Blah, blah. Oh, go that ahead. One. Say it five yeah. times fast. No, I don't want to. <laughs> I won't even give them the airtime. No, I, I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. The you know ability of us to do what we want with our media whether it be, you know, no matter how we obtained it, I think should be our right. And I understand, you know, that all of this stems out of them trying to curb counterfeiting and blah, 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 blah. But it, it just drives me absolutely batty. I think one of the main things that is really being overlooked in this whole thing is the the, the legal system isn't, taking into account the spirit of, of any of these laws um, and what they were designed to do and, and what they're effectively doing right now. They were designed to prevent the pirating of digital media to you know friends, the internet, wh- whomever out there, um, so that people were getting paid for their content that they created, and rightly so. By taking this and, and saying that you can't take this disc put it on a streaming box and use it throughout your house. I mean, is that really what this law was designed to do? I don't think so. I mean, you, you still obviously own the disc. The DVD CCA has already said that they're, they're not even in favor of doing something like, like Kaleidoscape is doing with Blu-ray, where the disc has to actually even be in the carousel. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it sounds to me like this is a last gasp for a dying you know, association, so to speak. I mean, DVDs have what? A shelf life or not a shelf life, but a a, a life of what? Another three years tops? You Maybe five? That, you know, it, it's one of those things. I have a couple boxes full of DVDs. I could not tell you the last time I pulled an actual DVD out to watch. So you're, I mean, you're, you're either streaming them or you're, you're bringing them off a server? Or, well, that or Blu-ray. Oh, okay. You know? And, and I, I just I thoroughly agree with your point that it's it seems like a last grasp for relevancy. So let me ask this in, in general, guys. A couple of years ago, um, Reed Hastings, the guy who, who uh, is the head of, of Netflix, uh, said in a statement that he expects Netflix to be out of the quote unquote DVD delivery business by 2020. This was in in the late you know in the late two thousands. That's only eight years away. Uh, do you think that was a conservative estimate, or was that incredibly too liberal? Do you think it'll take longer than that? 
George? Do you think it'll take longer than eight years to get rid of DVDs? Um, no. I'm thinking if nobody mucks it up with some kind of litigation, it's it's five tops, as, as someone stated earlier. I think it was Chris. Um, I, you really are true. It's the last gasp of somebody who's <laughs> who's fighting. I mean, I was going to say this about another article we're going to talk about later, but this really feels sort of like the Black Knight from Monty Python. <laughs> I'm not dead. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh wound. You know, he's, he's there in all stumps banging his head against the guy. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's really what's happening. And why? I don't, they're trying to save their, their phony baloney administration at this point. I can't see DVDs coming back for any real reason. I, I just can't. I, uh, might as well Blu-ray bring back players, that. With Blu-ray players getting less and less expensive every day, what what point is there to not buy a Blu-ray if you know if you have a player? Right. If, if your DVD player, that. if your DVD player but, but dies, are you going to go buy a new DVD player? No, you're going to go buy a Blu-ray player because it'll play Blu-rays and it'll play DVDs. Right. And then once you have a Blu-ray player, are you ever going to buy another DVD again? No. No, you'll just buy the you know the, the latest you know when when Cars Five comes out, I'll buy it on Blu-ray for my son. You know, Tim. Well, there's two there's, there's two questions I want to ask about this actually. Uh, the guy Robert on that on that comments page did say there's a debate here about owning your content. And does anybody else in this assembled panel fear that? That's what we're eventually leading to here is that these companies are going to actually turn this into, hey, you stopped it, but watched it again. And that's a that's, you know, another five cents for the actual movie play or whatever they're going to charge. Is this an issue for you? That is an issue for me. And and I am one of those people who if there's a movie I like, I don't think twice about buying it. And I want a physical disc. And as much as I um, really enjoy watching something on Netflix or something like that. I cannot stand not being able to watch it on my terms whenever I want. Okay, so what what's wrong with the Amazon model or the the iTunes model then at that point where you you purchase the digital copy, I guess is the best way to put this. Um and then you can watch it whenever you want on and if you you do the iTunes model wherever you want whether that's an iPad or Apple TV or your your iPod or your iPod Touch. Uh, or your iPhone. I mean, what's is there anything wrong with not owning the physical physical media, but owning the digital version of I, that? I don't really have a problem owning a digital copy of it, as long as there are, there are rules and uh, you know rights of me purchasing it. Excuse me, means that I can burn it to a disc if I want. You know, it, it's that whole thing. I remember when uh, DMA came out for. Uh, uh, music in iTunes, and there was this stupid restriction of you could only burn this to something like four CDs. And I'm like, yeah, I remember reading that, going, okay, so what if I buy this, you know, song, and I want to put it on my iPod, and then burn a copy for my truck, my wife's truck, or my wife's vehicle, uh, you know, my CD player in the garage, and you know, a big changer. Yeah, is that all I'm allowed to do with it? I own it. I should be able to do whatever I want with it. So that that's my only issue with, you know, buying something digitally and more importantly, uh, you know, at least being able to store it on my own hard drive. Well, that, I, that was the other I, thing I was going to bring up is that, you know, Matt lives up in Canada where Internet is scarce and well, slow. And, and, and they have oh, different media issues as well. But yeah, exactly. we definitely have huge media issues uh, but as if far you have as to what's read, available. But if, 
But if you have to spend the bandwidth, you know, potentially to anytime you want to watch that movie, you know, to download 1080p video, I mean, if you have a bandwidth cap, that's a big problem for you. It is. And we are, you know, I know you guys don't have bandwidth for pennies per se, uh, but I know our bandwidth comparatively is much higher cost than yours uh, in the States. So I look at, uh, like last night, I watched two episodes of Justified. Uh, which if you haven't seen it, is a very good show. Um, sorry for the little plug. <laughs> uh, but I watched is that two episodes. Is that a Justin Timberlake show or a Justin Bieber show? No, and I'm hurt that you would associate <laughs> me with Bieber. But thank you for that. Uh, gosh. Continue. I thought shameless plugs went at the end of the show. They do. They're supposed to, but you know. <laughs> I do not endorse. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, you know, so I watched two episodes of the show. The annoying thing to me is I know what that costs me, not only in the, you know, fact that I'm paying for Netflix, which is, you know, obviously next to nothing. But um, I also know how much that's going to cost me in bandwidth because I know how much the streaming costs me just to stream it to my iPhone. And that's where it, you know, does become that whole of if I own it, but it's only based in the cloud and I'm not able to own it locally or physically on a, a local server then, yeah, it definitely becomes an issue. Tim, you guys have to deal with everybody. That's you know that that's for sure. Is there is there a um a, a philosophy or, or anything when it comes to manufacturing and having to deal with all these different things? I mean, do you guys foresee not having to deal with let's say composite signals or you know DVD signals in general and more looking towards the digital? you know, the, the digital realm, the digital revolution, the digital movement that we're doing? Well, from a, from a manufacturer's perspective, there's one thing we're not going to get into is storage. You know, that yeah. storage is cheap nowadays. It's a commodity. So we're not going to go there. But in terms of video signals, yeah, everything we're coming out with now is, is in the digital world. But, you know, we still can't ignore analog. It's going to be with us for a long, long, long time. Do you have – I'm not asking you to give away secrets. Do you have a sense, though – of you know what in in ten years you know our SMXs aren't going to have you know di- or analog video inputs or is it twenty years or do you, have you guys even talked about that? Well, I, I would say you know look in the case of Kaleidoscape with the story. I mean, if you're in this in a certain business and come out with a certain product, make hay while the sun shines because standards and technologies change. So with that same mind frame. Standards take decades to develop to a certain degree. So, you know, digital is still in a developmental stage to a certain degree. I don't think that, you know, the VGA connector is going to change. I think it's going to be with us a long time. Same with the composite signal. But, you know, we haven't discussed really outlying factors that we're going to see the demise in that. We're kind of under the preface that we're going to be living with all of them in the same manner for quite a long time into the future. Yeah, and that's there's probably some something to be said for that because you're right. We're not all going to go out one day and burn all of our DVDs, just like we didn't all go out and burn all of our VHSs or betas at at one point. So, well, that that question came up with the CIO at a college I was talking to yesterday. I said, um, you know, are you buying CPUs and, and computers and, and and servers that have only digital outputs? He says, no, they're still coming with analog as well. So, and until the, the computer manufacturers really say, okay, this is what you get. Uh, manufacturers still have to accommodate both worlds. Well, that is true, and that's that's well, a big part. And and um, I just wanted to say that I actually have a difference of opinion on on the whole VGA thing. I you know 
Intel and AMD have already said that they're going to kill VGA. And and regardless of what anybody, you know, wants to believe, Intel is is still the leading manufacturer of graphic chipsets in the world, regardless of what AMD does with, you know, their ATI uh, acquisition or what NVIDIA does, you know, Intel still has the market share. Um, and they've already said that they're going to kill VGA because it's the only reason they need to maintain five volts on the chip. Wow. Well, and right. how long ago did Apple kill VGA? Apple hasn't had VGA in what? Oh, gosh. Uh, four years? Yeah. yeah. Five years? Yeah, four but they still support easy. it. I mean, they, they, they can, they'll still sell you a $30 you know, converter. Hey, it's right. thirty nine ninety nine. Only in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they, yes, they've made that announcement, and, and I'm not refuting the fact they're not, not going to do it, but they still have to, you know, enact that announcement. Oh yeah, they still have to at some point pull the trigger and say, no, it doesn't exist anymore. Right. Well, and, and I guess the other side of it as well is how many people still have VGA only infrastructure. Yeah. You know, how many schools, colleges, uh, even corporate business offices have nothing but VGA throughout their entire building. Yeah, I mean, when I go out in the field and do demos, I've got a laptop that has DisplayPort and VGA. Unless I'm physically demoing an Extron product that uses digital, and that, therefore forcing myself to use the DisplayPort output, yeah. if I go into a facility to do some kind of presentation or training, well, I'm using the VGA connector. Because yeah, that's what's in the room. That's what's in the room, and, and we anyway, yeah. there, there's... there's you know, a, a few years ago, you you couldn't really put in nothing but digital. You had to put in you know a Siamese system, and college presidents are just like CEOs. You you hate to see money go to waste, and so they're looking at all of these what now could be considered you know not legacy necessarily, but analog systems certainly, and they're saying, wait a minute, you know, I spent how much money on this system? You you darn well better make it work. You know, I'm squeezing every last. Every last ounce of, of usefulness out of this system. So. By the way, yes, CE Pro just posted five. It's three thirty on March thirtieth. They just posted Kaleidoscape granted temporary stay on DVD servers. Well, there you go. Very good. There you go. It, it, it's going to be more fun. It's developing as we speak. I like to think that it's all because of this argument we had. It is. It is. It's I because think it of is. this <laughs> very podcast. Even though nobody else hears it, the five of us. So. Uh, a note in the article: They're still urging dealers to keep on selling. Sell, sell. Yes. Well, we had we had Rich Fragosa on last week, and, and and Rich is a big uh, residential guy, and he was saying, you know, just last week he sold three systems. You know, what are you laughing at? Rich <laughs> being laughing. rich, I coughed. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were laughing at Rich. I was smiling um, oh, okay. at Rich. Um, <laughs> he's but he sold three Kaleidoscape systems last last week. You know. Now that's rich, and he, he can do that. So, all right, <clears throat> from CNET, LG and Samsung says we're not done yet with 3D. I'm not dead. I'm feeling better. You soon will be. I soon will be. <laughs> Quiet, you. Um, Monty Python. Is. We've got to put a link to yeah yes. to Monty Python. Um. Basically, what this article says is, you know what, hey, TVs so much, but hey, we've got these really cool little phones that, of course, you're going to be able to hook up to your TV, to your 3D TV. So your 3D LG Samsung uh, camera can hook up to your 3D LG Samsung display because we all love 3D. Yay. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> Chris, 
I've never asked you this question. Do you like 3D? Um, no, not really. <laughs> Tim, do you like? I mean, yeah, you, you're a manufacturer. Do you like 3D? <laughs> do I like watching 3D? Yes. No. Not okay. A, no. There I we go. That's what I'm I want. Not to a be. fan of wearing glasses there unless I'm outside See? wearing sunglasses. There's a, there's a reason I liked you. <laughs> I will say that the only way I like 3D is if it's 3D IMAX and it's something that is digitally created like a kids movie or something where the 3D is done well but as far as 3D from you know anything else couldn't care at all. I'll tell you what in a couple of weeks I'll give you guys a review of my first 3D movie because I'm going to see Titanic with my wife so I mm. will yeah the things that we do. Uh you so enjoy that. I I've never seen the movie period so I figured you know she Never seen it. I just did one of those oh, things. Yeah. I was single at the time when it came out and just refused to for the last 20 years. So, um, it, it sinks, just so you know. They, <laughs> you know what? And that's been my argument the entire time we've been married. She's like, oh, it's a wonderful movie. You should watch, you should watch it with me. I said, no. The boat sinks and everyone dies. That's not the point, she says. Well, whatever. All right, Georgie, is this, you know... Are they just did they did they, did they buy a lot of 3D technology and they're just trying to get it off the shelves? Is that the deal here? I mean, do they not get that we don't want this stuff? Or, 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 it's as or, reasonable an explanation as I can give. Well, it, it, or is it that, that us technology guys are the one grousing about it? And you know what, my dad, who God love him, I still have to set his VCR. <laughs> he really likes this stuff. Well, what's his experience with it? Uh, yeah. It's cool. It's technology. You get to see, you know. But it, movie theater in the home, where is he seeing most of his 3D? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. In the, you know, I mean, the movie theater is a different experience, although I'm not very fond of 3D everywhere and real 3D and all that nonsense. Um, great marketing terms, though. Somebody in the marketing departments are making good money making logos. But <laughs> um, my, my question with 3D really becomes – the personal gaming and the home theater and the home viewing that I think 3D is just way overblown. In the actual movie theaters, you know, it's it's the same thing as the big old stretch screens and the SpectraVision and all this other stuff they did. Occasionally, it's nice, but, but trying to enforce it on everybody. And I know a bunch of people who dove in and bought those 3D DS things and in about a week put them down and went, I was the biggest waste of money I ever did. It gives me headaches all the time and you got to hold it a certain way. My arms hurt. You know, it's just maybe in the future they'll prove us wrong, but I just don't doubt it. I don't get it at all. So, Matt, is this – I mean, you're not hooking up. You, you, you've you sold, I'm sure, more than one 3D TV. Oh, yeah, we've uh, sold tons of them. So is this but something you have to worry the, about, though, like hooking no, up? It, <laughs> you know, I was actually rushing back from a client meeting to make this call uh, this afternoon. Oh, that's sweet. And I know, wasn't it? Um, I skipped lunch for it too, just so you know. That's why I'm a little grouchy. Anyways, um, halfway through our conversation, uh, you know, it's just a nice everyday couple and they want to put a little theater room in uh, just to watch movies and play with the kids and stuff. And halfway through, he turns to me and goes, so about this 3D stuff. Mm. And I'm like, yes. He's like, should I do it? And I'm like, do you watch 3D? He goes, no. I go, when was the last time you went to a 3D movie at a theater? And it was like a good 30-second pause before he named some kids' movie they saw like eight months ago. And I said, so if you haven't seen them that often in the theater to begin with, 
what makes you want to watch them at home? It's like, I, I don't know. I just hear about it all the time. I'm like, and that, you know, kind of answers your question. If you don't know you want it, then why would we even put it in for you? Yes. Except for the fact that it comes with, you know, almost every TV we sell now. And, you really? know, almost every TV. Uh, in my market. Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Mo- like most of the Samsungs we sell, they all have, uh, you know, 3D ready. Um, almost every Panasonic is 3D ready, uh, you know, in the, the f- large scale formats. So on that basis, then, yeah, you know, we're putting them in a lot. Are they being used? No. Uh, I think I only have one client who consistently watches something in 3D. And I myself have a full 3D rig, and I've watched all of 30 seconds, or I'm sorry, maybe 30 minutes of a, a Shrek DVD. And that was and, for business purposes. No, that was to put it on and go, oh, yeah, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, to, to the point, I have boxes of glasses that I've never even opened because I don't watch 3D. Interesting idea. Is it possible that the whole reason that we're even talking about 3D is because the manufacturers have really run out of other features to develop and they've just latched onto this as the next thing because they don't have any other better ideas? Sure, they have the next thing. 4K. 8K. <laughs> After but, that, but, 16K. But, but it's not here yet and they can push the 3D. Well, and, and that's But, the but short of bumping the resolution, at some point you hit you hit the point where, you know... You reach "quote unquote" retina quality, where bumping the resolution anymore means nothing. And then what? Well, and I think you're 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 hitting on something because there's still there's still, I, I say the next thing is, is 4K, uh, because people like Extron and and other switcher manufacturers are are having to deal with that because projector manufacturers are coming out with it, but the supply isn't there, just like 3D was five years ago. They started, you know, the display guys were saying, you know, here's 3D, here's 3D, and the content guys were going, ho, ho, wait, back up a second. I don't have it yet. And then they started doing the re-releases, and then they started doing the movies, and then came Avatar, and then came the release of every Disney classic ever known to man, you know, put out in 3D. And now they've got the content, which kind of sort of gives the, the display guys a resurgence, while at the same time they're pushing on to the next one. Well, and I think it comes down to even especially from the content side, a lot of that content is calling it 3D is very, it's a very loose definition of 3D. We're talking, you know, minor depth of field changes to all of those Disney re-releases. But yeah, I I think for the most part, it's mainly a money grab. As I said, I never get asked for it specifically. It always comes up because they saw a commercial. Or they saw something and said, hey, is this I, – I read in the specs of this, the screen you squo- quoted us that it has 3D. And yeah, like it reminds me back of um, when the connected – quote-unquote connected TV first came out. And there were a couple of apps on it. Now, you couldn't do Netflix and you know Hulu and all that other jazz, but you could get YouTube and stuff like that. And the way they've been marketing all the current – screens and connected TVs with Hulu and stuff, really not much has changed. And yet the pricing has, you know, kind of changed a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. So just a little bit. All right. Enough bashing for 3D for one week. Uh, from our buddies over at Rave Publications, Liedestad, uh wrote a blog post and posed the question that I will pose to you gentlemen. 
And the question is this. When you're putting in a system, do you put in a projector or a flat panel? Uh, he goes on to write real quickly that this is not a great taste, less filling question. Uh, this really is has to do with, with solutions and, and uh, installations. Uh, Tim, we'll start with you on this because you've been around more than one education place in your life. And you guys have actually <laughs> quite a nice uh, education facility yourself. Is this it? Is it kind of you? You walk in and and you can you can just automatically say, yeah, you need a flat panel in here, or yeah, you need a projector in here, or is it you know is there more to it than that? Well, there's more to it than that. Off the off the cuff, you know, you visit a lot of universities and yeah, they're putting both in. Um, you know, even on on single display rooms, you might have some sidewalls that have LCDs or, or flat panels on there. But the big trend in, in classroom design that I've seen is, is collaboration-type classrooms where you're putting a couple projectors in, but you've got these work cells or pods that each have their own flat panel that a small group of uh, students can collaborate, and then the instructor can route those signals to the projectors depending on what they want to share with the class. So, you know, I, I see both um, proliferating. Uh, you know, obviously a flat panel has some nice – aesthetics to it. I, I did run into a, a customer at, at Harvard last year and they put a 103 three inch flat panel into a high end conference room. And and you can't get that through an elevator. I mean so they have to hire a <laughs> no crane, fans. block traffic on Huntington Avenue and, and, and open the windows to hoist in a hundred and three flat panel. So you you gotta look at the infrastructure of the building to see if you can even get a panel as large as what's needed for those rooms. And that's where you know, still the, the projector in terms of your bang for the buck per diagonal square inch um, is going to give you the largest image right now. Yeah. George, can you just walk in and say, yep, you need this or you need that? Or, you know, do you have like a, a standard, you know, one that you prefer? Like if if you can put in a projector you'd prefer to or vice versa? I, well, first of all, I think that really comes down to what is the room, right? I mean, there's certain rooms that it just won't work unless, of course, somebody's willing to say, well, when, when someone goes, so and so stands up to go to the bathroom, they're going to put their head through the projector or have the duck. <laughs> there are rooms like that, right? Um, uh, and so it really is what do you want? What's the room space? And what is the ambient light issue? And let's, let's, we're not even talking about audio, right? No. Just, those are the factors that you sort of, that's my initial take. What will work? What won't work? Um, after that, I personally prefer flat panels because I find them brighter. I find them more detailed and I like that. Any, any projection system that I've seen, regardless of how well it's done, doesn't really, um, look that good to me. So, uh, that's sort of my bias, but it really does come down to what does the client want and what do they need and what can the room you're putting it in really support? That's funny you say that because I didn't realize I had a bias until you started explaining that. I have a bias towards projectors. Uh, now, part of that's the fact that I live in an education world, so that <laughs> that start there. But the other part is is you know when you're when you're doing a, a PowerPoint or you know a lecture looks drastically different on a flat panel than it does on a projector. I mean the resolutions are not apples to apples, uh, and so maybe that's where where my bias comes in. Uh, I mean I. I think it's safe to say that a flat panel of a given size looks better than a projected image of the same size and resolution. Um, that's my personal opinion, I think, because of the contrast ratio that you get. I mean, unless you spend a lot of money to build a rear projection room, um, 
and even then, you know, black isn't really black. It's kind of just a very a gray. You know, dark grayish color. You know, it, a flat panel absolutely looks better. You know, you do reach a point where, you know, size is an issue. You you cannot granted although you can get a 150 inch flat panel, it's like like um I forget who it it's was. It's expensive. Said. Well, it's expensive, and like Tim said, it's impossible to install. Yeah. Um, you know, and at that point, a projector is, is what you want to go with because you're going to spend more money to install that flat panel than you are going to pay for the device. Yeah, and then you know somebody drops it and breaks it, and then you get another one. And uh, <laughs> Matt, is this? Do you have a bias like like George and? And, and I do, or is it, is it really just, you know, yeah, each, instant, each instance, you know, requires its own math? I find that most often we have to tailor it completely to the space and the customer, um, whether it be residential or commercial. Uh, you know, you and I have had many discussions about the improper use of flat panels in House mm-hmm. of Worship. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where, a lot of times, yes, flat panels make way more sense. A lot of times, projectors make way more sense. And quite often, especially in the resi world, both make an absolute ton of sense to put both of them in. And uh, that was actually what we were quoting today was a dual system that was both projector and flat panel combination. And, uh, you know, I, as, as much as I love the big screen and the use of the large screen for you know whatever application that that may be if we can afford it budget wise i'm putting a flat panel in but it's got to be the right flat panel and that's where a lot of times that uh that justification doesn't always work because if they can't afford it um like if especially say for example has of worship we can't swap you know two side fill projector screens for tvs it just doesn't happen. Who's going to justify even the cost of a 103-inch uh, Panasonic yeah. to replace a, you know, even a very nicely done, say, $15,000 screen and, uh, and projector combo? Even if you look at that, you're still getting two screens for the price of one TV. And, you know, that, that's where it, it really does come down to the whole got to find it. So – I'm always a, a fan of the more resolution I can get, the better. Yeah, I think I think I am too. Uh, Another key difference in the installation and choosing what what you want to install is sight lines, as far as um, the projector to the screen versus you know any cameras in the room. If you want to do recordings, if you if there's no way that anybody is going to stand in front of the path of light from the projector, and you know, for example, that house house of worship market. Where you know you, you've got it up on the up on the side for showing the audience, you know, view. There's nobody that's going to get in the way of that. You can use a projector and not impact the image by standing in front of it. Where if you have a conference room where you have somebody presenting to a bunch of people and they want to gesture to the screen and point out something on their Excel spreadsheet, you know, them standing in front of the projector is a distraction. Oh, definitely. You know, and at that case, you know, you, you want to try to minimize that distraction. And a flat panel is a really great way to do that. Mm, that's true. 
the uh, in, the Infocom wrote a couple an article a couple of days ago, and it kind of got me peeking and, and, and talking and, and thinking um, about the next generation of TVs. And this, I think, this will be the last our last story on on TVs in general. But yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking about TVs today. And it, it, it the question was this, and the, the article basically said this: um, We're entering into an interesting time where there is a whole lot we're going to be able to do with flat panels and, and we're talking about everything from connected TVs, which is something that Matt talked about, to being able to, if you believe some of the rumors with, with Apple, being able to interact with it over voice. And then one of the rumors is the fact that, that there is going to be a physical Apple TV and the remote control with it for it will be Siri, uh, which is the voice activated, um, the voice activated, uh, it, it, you know, uh, connection that you have with, with your new iPhone. Um, Matt, is this going to be an issue or is it really as cool as it really sounds? I, I think it'll be as cool as it really sounds. Uh, that being said, I think integration could be an issue. It, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we've done a lot of work being, uh, do, or sorry, doing a lot of residential. We do a lot of work with, you know, Xboxes and Xbox Live and um, Xbox Connect. And a lot of their new voice control applications, albeit, very cool, sometimes can be a pain in the butt to uh, integrate. So I, I think that's really going to be the the caveat with these is it'll be understanding the coolness factor and how well or not well they they integrate. George, is this something that we're going to have to start worrying about, like with control systems and stuff like that, or and integrating with that and all these different controls, or... Can we just throw these up on the wall and have them a part of our whole systems? I think eventually it will be the latter, definitely. Uh, uh, I'm still, I'm still a tactile button guy. <laughs> I know you like your weighted you know? knobs. I, I like my weighted knobs. Thank you very much, Miss November '63. But <laughs> the uh... explain that. It's a blog post from a long time ago about my love of weighted knobs and why they should be on every device. But that's we'll, another we'll, story. We'll put a link to that one. We have to keep a clean rating on this show. I know. I do my damnedest to, to break it, but I won't do it this time. But, <laughs> you and, yeah. but um, it, you know, there's that tactile feel. There's just something about a response that just saying it, I don't know. Maybe I'm an old curmudge. Maybe I'm having my uh, my cranky geek moment. But it's just – it's not there for me yet where – I can actually, you know, have to say, Siri, TV, volume down. Because in the time it takes me to do that, I can hit the button. And I can just find it and do it. It's, <laughs> you know, it's not a big deal. So someday, yes. And I'm sure my kids will probably be trying to teach me how to do it. Dad, come on. You just do this. <laughs> you just think, Dad. You just think. It's Concentrate. I'm not a jester, dang it. Yes, you are. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tim, is this something you guys have to worry about or... Is it? Um, are we gonna? Are we way off where we have to start interfacing with, you know, the smart TVs uh, for control systems and stuff? Well, they say that you know a lot of the innovation and what what makes its way into the commercial sector begins in the residential sector. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we have to keep an eye on it. But I think it still has to prove itself out. I mean, do you watch TV in solitary where only your voice is in the room, or you watch sports uh, with friends and say, "Hey, we're number one," and all of a sudden the TV turns <laughs> channel? You know, so to channel you one. know, you you've got to you've got to watch it. But I think that it needs to mature a little bit and work a few things out. 
All right, so nothing to worry about, nothing to see here. Everybody move on. Um, <clears throat> NEC is is doing something different with their their tactile with with their touchscreen, and one is tactile feedback. And George mentioned the fact that he likes weighted knobs. Not to pick on George anymore, but we will. Uh, this comes to us from Geek.com. Is this something where you, Mister Weighted Knob, are you going to be more apt to? jump to a all-screen display, jump to something like an iPad or um, the Android version of that because it has the feedback, or is it still just a flat screen to you, George? I, I actually The former. I, I really like this idea. Now, Chris Tatton and I were talking about this offline a couple of days ago when we were you know discussing some of the articles that were there. And Chris, you can chime in, but you weren't so impressed. But I like this for that reason, that if it is a touchscreen, whether it's on the wall or something on my lap or on the little desk, I can touch it. And that physical feedback will tell me without having to look at it, I can continue to watch my hockey game, not take my eye off the crease and be able to you know, raise or lower the volume as I'm doing something without having to look at it. That's my fascination with these, with the weighted knobs and, uh, and and tactile buttons. Is that I don't have to look at it and I don't have to take my attention away to go find it or flip through pages to get to that feature. It's right there, and there's something very you know nice about that. You feel it respond to you. I, there was a car one, and I can't remember and I couldn't find it in my research in the last day or so, in which it actually raised up. It had these little actuators that raised up over the screen now they're very limited to the where they could be position wise but still it was i've tried it at some show some off trade show they got to him they finally got I to george. Remember where it was. and it was really cool <laughs> they finally got and to george it. i really love that george yes <laughs> they finally got to you they muted you halfway through that so uh, the the government, sir. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's why he's been hiding out in New Jersey, right? Yes. The swamps <laughs> of New Jersey, baby. The swamps of New Jersey. Uh, Chris, is this? I mean, you, he, you, George mentioned the fact that you were, you and he were talking offline. You, you're not crazy about this idea. Why? No, I. I well, it's still a touchscreen with an LCD display behind it, and although I absolutely love the idea of being able to, you know, hit the volume up and down knob on my remote. It's still a touchscreen, and there's no way you're going to be able to do that with a touchscreen without looking down at the screen. Still, yeah. I mean, you you have no you have no frame of reference, and and this little haptic, you know, touchscreen that moves this membrane over it moves it, and you know, it, it, in two dimensions. I'm going to um, take you to task for this, though. Yes, you do know where it is because on a screen layout, it's always in the same place. So if I have hard buttons on a side that take me to different screens, and I know where that button is, I know where to get it. All right, you well, moving the buttons well, on yes. the design? <laughs> no, but no. <laughs> but this is not a hard button. You can't feel your your finger over that button to know you're on it before you press it. Okay, here's who's the crazy. Say, I, you could. You could. But Absolutely. but here's the other problem I have with this this product because I watched this video. It's noisy. I don't want to use a touchscreen that makes that much noise. <laughs> it's a first rev. But. <laughs> <laughs> To, to, you, explain, explain to me how they're going to make this any quieter. How are they going to make this any quieter? Tim, you, you guys. Got still got all this wonderful stuff that's got to move the screen. They can't make it any quieter. Put a muffler Unless on it. Unless you suspend the laws of physics and make, create a fr- completely frictionless design. Impossible. It's plasma. Uh, uh, Tim, you guys joined. Uh, you, you guys finally, you, you, uh, you released your, um, your uh, uh, interface for the iOS 
uh, with your um, uh, about I don't know, about two or three weeks ago. Is this having haptic feedback, having feedback on on you know buttons? Is that important? Do you think, or you know, like Chris said, is it just kind of you know it's noisy and it's silly? Well, for maybe residential, it might be, but in, in higher ed, ADA compliance, Section five hundred three compliance is is there's officers. Uh, employed by campuses to make sure devices comply with that. So as I see it right now, it enables, you know, a a touch panel to provide more tactile feedback to become more compliant, to be associated with Americans with disabilities. So that's a big push in higher ed. And as far as that uh, iPad app that you referenced, uh, yeah, I mean, if you you turn on your iPad and you enable the, um, uh, it's in the, accessibility aspects of it and you run that app it's been written that if you tap on the button of the user interface it audibly tells you what is on that button in the system oh sweet so that's automatically been written underneath the app to to be compliant with apple's you know ada on on the ipad so you have to manually turn that on and it'll audibly give you that what what your what your button what your finger is touching you double you double press it and it goes ahead and makes that switch so you know if that Right now, touch panels can have not just bip, uh, beeps and clicks underneath a, a tactile push, but you could add WAV files to associate that with a specific command. I think um, you know tactile feel on a touch panel just takes ADA to the next level from a from a higher ed standpoint. So I'd like to see them continue that uh, development on that and see if they get get it quieter, get price points down, to see if it, see if it becomes viable. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I didn't I didn't realize that you guys had not not tactile feedback, but audible feedback. That's cool. All right, uh, this comes to us from the BBC, and uh, George is all excited about this. Uh, I'm, I am, too, because I'm, I'm a big theater guy. Um, theater and technology, and, and uh, the article is talking about how technology is transforming theater and how actually it's causing a little bit of a row. Um, George, is this, is this something, is this a natural evolution of live staging and, and theater, and, and and just to give us a, a shameless plug, you know, before the end of the show, because Matt already did it. Um, George started a new show this this month uh, called The Live Life, talking about you know staging and and, and live uh, live events. Yeah, and and one of the things that we do do is use multi-image, as the old phrase or still the new phrase is, with theater. We did it uh, as far back as things with Tommy on Broadway and uh, Hedwig the Angry Inch and, and all of that. Shameless plug for world stage. Um, so it's not brand new and it's been done, say, like at the public, George Papp's public theater for years. Uh, it's been experimental and avant-garde stuff, um, but it's pretty standard on Broadway now. There's always some sort of video support. There's always some sort of visual uh, addition to the scenery and it brings that scenery to, into a new dimension. Uh, bring on, bring on the noise, bring on the funk was simply storytelling on a backlit, you know, a rear projection screen, but wicked has stuff that seems to pop out. Um, you know, we, we do it with a bunch of different stuff that's going on. So it's not so new in the U S I think, as it is now emerging in the sort of higher theaters of, of, of Europe and England where this article was generated. Um, but it does have its conflict conflicts. You know, people want that theater and not to have to rely on a TVization of theater. But I think it adds something to the right shows. Again, appropriate where it's supposed to be and not overkill. Um, but there are challenges into 
being able to interact the media with the acting because acting is not the same every night. And you don't always want to make the actors act to the media. It has to be the other way around, really. And I think that's where the difference comes. Yeah, Matt, you guys have one of the most more famous uh, Shakespeare theaters uh, up along London, Ontario. And like to George's point, you're not going to shove you know, a 50-inch plasma in the middle of Taming of the Shrew. No. But for the right one, does it make sense? Yes, it does. And, you know, they've actually been uh, experimenting and doing more stuff, some some product or sorry, some projection mapping and pixel mapping uh, and some stuff like that. They have started to use in the show uh, up at a couple of the different theaters up there. And it it has been very impressive. And it I like to see it come because, you know, this is all stuff that we know about and we've seen. But when they're starting to use it more and more, uh, it's just it's an added effect to the production. You know, and to that point, and not to steal somebody else's thunder here, but uh, we were going to have Mark Shubin on today, but he had technical difficulties. And Mark Shubin, uh, ShubinCafe.com, is somebody who's been doing HD stuff for a long time. But he writes these really great blog posts about how technology like this is not so new. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did a great article about opera in the 1800s where they were doing gaslight shadow acting of these uh, operas that were done live over the newfangled telephone systems. He talks about how they did this kind of stuff. Uh, this most recent one about baseball where they had in different cities at, uh, at the newspapers, these automatron systems for lack of a better phrase, which gave live updates of the baseball game, the world series with little things that moved around the field and, and stuff like that, giving you the score. So this stuff is not really new in adding to theater. It's just become so pervasive and the, it's so cheap enough to do it in a, in a, in a larger scale. Yeah, and that's uh, that's Shubin Cafe is, is, the, is the website. We'll put a, a link to that yeah. as well because that was a, a fascinating article because, you know, you've got uh, – I told George offline that it reminded me of the old story of, of Ronald Reagan in his first early days of radio where he was – Basically, he was he was rebroadcasting um, in the you know the the fields of Iowa a Cardinals baseball game that they lost the connection and it was the you know to hear Ronald Reagan say it you know it was the longest you know, the the most uh, foul balls hit by a person you know a person at bat as they tried to reconnect it and it's that same sort of theater of the mind type thing uh, and using technology to you know communicate whatever it is that you're trying to communicate so I thought it was cool. And it, what's really cool about that is that it was teletype, and he was actually there with uh, almost like the, um, the 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 movie theater or the movie making uh, sound effects. Yeah, he had a bat, you hear the crack, he oh. had a crowd sound, you hear the boom, the punch of a of a bag to ca- for the catch of the ball. I mean, they were doing it so far back mm-hmm. um, that I, I don't have an objection to it. I don't know if any of the panel has objections to seeing a play with that in it. I I don't. <laughs> well, I don't. You know. Tim, do you go to the theater? <laughs> I haven't been to I haven't been to a theater other than to recommend product on a systems design, but I haven't been to a theater to do a CLI performance probably since the late eighties. Well, Sorry, can't he, contribute. He went to go see Cats the first run. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> first in line were you? Yeah, uh, memories. Um, last uh, from uh, CNET, one of our favorite uh, sources. Uh, we're going to start start this this kind of uh, conversation uh, because I have my own. My own, uh, my own solutions for this. Uh, which streaming media device is right for you? Dun, dun, dun. 
Uh, we've talked about this before, how and we talked about th- at the top of the show, how, you know, the, the next step, the next generation for all of us is going to be streaming, is going to be, you know, getting our stuff off offline, honestly, off, off the Internet in one way, shape or form. And so there are some different, t- you know, technologies mentioned here in the article. The Roku is one. The Apple TV is another. PS3 is one. I'll throw, you know, Xbox in there alongside that. Some sort of connected um, Blu-ray player. Um, the uh, Western Digital, which is what I actually have at the house. Um, you can throw in a, a number of different things. TiVo now, the newest generations of TiVo have streaming capabil- capabilities. Um Tim, we'll start with you on this one. If, if you have uh, a, a favorite one or one that you could say, you know what, this is in general the one that's going to give, to give you the most or the best bang uh, for your dollar. Well, I think it depends on you know what your platform of choice personally is. Um, for myself, um, my family with seven Apple devices at home, obviously we're going to oh, go yeah, with the yeah. Apple TV. But you know, others that might not be on the Apple bandwagon are going to you know choose choose something else. So it just what again, it comes back to what your platform, what your content, and what your subscription is. If some like iTunes, some don't. Yeah, that is true. Uh, Matt D. Scott, what is your? You are on the Apple bandwagon. <laughs> you know what I so, am. So so this will be interesting. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite uh, streaming device? My favorite streaming device is the Apple TV as well. Um, partially because I am a big Apple user, um, but also just because it it works best for what I use it for, um, which is, albeit fairly limited. I don't do a ton of streaming outside of Netflix. Part of that is because I live in the lovely tech wasteland that is Canada, where we don't get tons of content and media and other stuff available. So all the Hulu and stuff like that, yeah, we don't get it. So it doesn't matter to me. Um, how much bandwidth do you need for the Moose Channel? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? The Moose Channel isn't bad. It's the Eskimo one and the Igloo Channel. That That one's a beast. The Inuit Channel. Hey, they're still Eskimos. What about the Aurora Borealis Channel? That one I'd watch. (laughs) That one's cool. That one's Hypnotic. very cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, but, so so going go <laughs> go ahead, Matt. No, 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 you're fine. I was going to say going from the technology Siberia to the technology oasis of New York City. It's uh, cold. George Tucker, what is your favorite streaming device? I actually, well, I I have a a Wii, which I think is really cool. Wee! Just that my kids love the thing to play with, and I got a streaming box out of it, which was really kind of cool. What, honey? The kids love it. Streaming? Who knew? Um, <laughs> this is great. That's how I um, sold the Xbox, I, by the way. But go ahead. I, exactly. Um, the uh, I, but I do like that that Roku box that they show that's under fifty bucks and it had everything that I would want on it. It came with the available like with MLB, with NHL, mm-hmm. uh, it came with other sports stuff that I really don't care about. Um, but it had everything that I want because I'm not a cable guy watcher. I don't watch the reality shows or any of that stuff. But you know what? That stuff's all on there anyway. So I really like under 50 bucks or 50 bucks and then maybe a couple of bucks more. So it comes up to 80 bucks with my monthly fees or something to, to, to watch anything I want without having to put a cable box in. Plus I can watch it anytime I want. I like this. This is where it's going to hit mainstream. Forget TiVo. This guy's got it down. Yeah. Um, and, and I and, go ahead. I'm sorry. The one thing that they did mention on it was that it says it only comes in 720p, 
maybe for okay. some of the installs that we involve ourselves in, it's a big deal. But as they said, majority of the regular people not going to notice. Well, not only that, but there's a conversation we can have in probably not here, but um, about whether or not you're really getting your, what what HD quote unquote you're getting from your cable and your satellites. So mm. you're not getting 1080p. So All right. they may say you are, but you're not. Well, it's sort of like the satellite radio CD quality. Yeah, well, sort of. That one is, is your CD all scratched up from under your chair? Yes, <laughs> my three-year-old's had my you know my Nirvana for five years now. So, uh, Chris, do you have a favorite streaming? Actually, I, I I do not, but I I have a Wii like George does um, that I use a lot for Netflix. And I was looking through this, and and I'm going to wait for the gasps. I actually <gasps> do not own a TV with an HDMI port on it. Oh, okay. wow. Yeah, I know. It's. I'm. I'm still working on getting it past the, uh, the the appropriation committee. Uh, you uh, and me both. <laughs> but one of the things that I, I I looked at this list that was really exciting to me was the Western Digital TV Live Hub. For, if for no other reason, then it's got component outputs and it does everything that I want it to do. So yeah, maybe it's a little bit more pricey, but Western Digital's been in this field for a while. They're not, you know, uh, you know. This whole streaming thing is relatively new to begin with, but in the grand scheme of things, they're not a newcomer to streaming. Mm-hmm. They've been doing it for at least a couple of years now. So th- this box is an evolution of previous boxes they've learned from mistakes, hopefully, but it's got component video outputs, which I really like. And it's got HDMI outputs for when I finally get that new TV through the appropriations committee. I can just hook it up that way. And it's the same interface. I don't have to teach my wife anything new. It just works, hopefully. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm fine paying the extra money for component video outputs because, quite frankly, none of those other solutions for, even work for me. Yeah. My, mine is a combination, and here's the reason why. I, w- I love the Roku. I really do. The only thing it doesn't do is it doesn't allow me to stream content that I have on a hard drive. Mm. If it did, it would be my home run. It really would because Roku has all of the streaming things that I want. It has, like George mentioned, the MLB, and it has hockey, and it has so many more. It just won't do content on a hard drive anywhere. And that's where I go to the Western Digital, which is what I have at the house uh, because I've got a, a, you know, a couple terabyte hard drive with Toy Story 1, 2, and 3 and Cars 1 and 2 and, and this, that, and the other. Um because I have a three and a five year old who think that DVDs are really frisbees, so after about the second or third time I bought Toy Story, uh, I said, <laughs> "Okay, you know, let's let's get it one last time, and we'll get a system to where you know what I'll rip it once and and we'll put it on a hard drive, and and we can you guys can watch it, you know, however many times you'd like, but you're not gonna put you know you're not gonna mess with the with the actual physical media." So if Roku and, and Western Digital could come together somehow and, and marry, that would be my ultimate. So I guess I'm going to have to get one of each. Um, Apple, I, I love Apple products. I, just, I don't have a whole lot of use for that one. Um, and PlayStation's not really. I mean, I, I also have an Xbox, which does a lot of the same other things. Um, so that's, those are my streamers. So. Well, the, the one other thing that none of us really talked about that I actually do use occasionally is my connected Samsung Blu-ray player because I do have a a lot of content that's not in iTunes due to usually format issues and that Samsung Blu-ray player makes it very easy as long as I install their uh, little server program 
onto my PC to access all that stored content as well. Yeah. And as far as, as far as <laughs> three, one, two, Go ahead. three, as far as playing back a lot of that stored content, that's been a very, very effective, uh, a way for me to do it. And you know, it's the nice thing for me is the fact that I already have it. Um, you know, because I watch Blu-rays, so I already have it. I don't need to buy an additional part uh, to play back some of the other stuff. Yes, and that was one thing. Why one drawback to Blu-ray players is I already have the Western Digital or you know the Roku thing. So anything that that a Blu-ray player, with the exception of playing Blu-rays, uh, would give me is I've already got it covered someplace else. Exactly. So. Uh, from SCN. System Contractor News. BTX earns the Infocom CAVSP designation. Who knows what CAVPDSD Yeah. CA. Jeez. It stands for. Wow. The Sapphire Certified Audiovisual Solutions Provider. Now, this is not to say anything you know positive or negative about btx or infocom my question is this guys uh did you know this existed and if you did do you think it's a good thing to highlight uh companies that earn specific you know certifications or you know the, the this certified audiovisual solutions provider i did know it existed because uh my company is is a ca vsp certified dealer yes um, but but what level <laughs> I could not tell you. See, mm-hmm. um, but I do think it is a good idea, um, if for nothing else, that it, it it helps Infocom as an organization get AV out there and and, and help their members to to w- with business. You know, if you're a member of Infocom, it, it's in your best interest to, to do this, and, and Infocom then therefore is able to help you. Over some other mom and pop shop, not that there's anything wrong with mom and pop shops, but is able to to provide you with value as a member. So I think it's a good thing. George, is this just kind of marketing, or is this you know, hey, this is really cool because this these these guys are are really top notch, and it gives guys like me, um, who are ultimately somewhat of a version of an end user, uh, a designation between you know one one integrator over another. Uh, short answer is yes to all of the above. Um, but, and and that, that it is a marketing thing. It is a nice little way of raising revenue for Infocom, I suppose. Um, but it also is something that we dearly need in the service industry. We all have our horror stories of getting support nightmares, whether it's just someone who didn't know, won't find out, or is just rude. And these kind of programs help organizations and manufacturers or even just a dealership that may have a helpline learn and establish and maintain that service level, that the ability to say, remember, these people are your friends. These people are the people, even more so, as we used to say, one of the companies I worked at is, just remember this. You getting their problem solves mean that they get out of the job sooner, which means they buy more gear for the new job, which means you can get paid. That's the way it runs. (laughs) And being mean to them doesn't get you paid. So it's a very personal thing. Not a, you know, you want to be altruistic and say, well, I do it for the goodness of it all. But in reality, it's for the goodness of the companies that they do better so that you get a raise. And you got to keep that in line. 
Uh, and I think this is a good demarcation point for some companies to say, yes, we've made the effort to qualify this. It's sort of like ISO 9000 or something. Mm. It may be required by some organizations, but knowing that company made the effort and put the money in in the training, that's a good thing. I think the key to this type of certification is for Infocom to make sure that it stays relevant um, and it's not just a rubber stamp that that anybody can get. It's got to actually continue to mean something in order for it to be useful. Yeah. Tim, is this useful for you guys as as manufacturers to kind of say, you know, here's, let's say that you have a, a, an integrator who is coming to Extron for the first time and saying, hey, we'd like to be a dealer. Uh, if they had this over someone who didn't, would that be, you know, kind of a feather in their cap in a way for them to put down on their on their application saying, hey, you know, we've got this designation because we treat our customers right? Well, yeah, it helps. I mean, obviously... Um, in order to become an extra reseller, you have to have a commercial place of business, installer support, design staff, all within that entity. Um, if if somebody's on the cusp, we're going to look at their industry certifications, and that's going to you know um, show to us that they value training and development of their staff, which is kind of in line with Extron's thinking, uh, and that definitely helps. But I think it also to their customer base tells their customers and potential recruits that this organization values development. We allow you time on the company to get certified, and it just it makes it better for the industry as a whole. The question is, in the academic world, is you know putting value on that so it's not always a low-cost bidder winning, yeah. where, where it puts value to the bid process that provides uh, benefits to firms like this that have that, that, that credential. Yeah, that, that, that is a very good point because a lot of times when it comes to education and in, in other places as well, um, you could have three or four or five bids, and unfortunately, sometimes it does come down to the bottom line, and not every time <laughs> is the person at the bottom line a Sapphire certified audiovisual solutions provider. Exactly. I'll just put it that way. Matt, are you? Uh, can you do this? Are you interested in this? Is this something that you see as a value, or is this just kind of you know cool for BTX? Yay! Uh, I think it's good. Um, just as Chris was saying. Uh, it, it does bring value to our industry, and it's something that is important to help differentiate companies that, you know, again, as I think we've all stated, are putting the time and effort in education and uh, knowledge about the industry in which we work. Uh, it's it's a good level of recognizing that. Yeah. Very cool. All right, gentlemen, that is uh, that's all the time we had. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, George Tucker can be found at Tucker Twos on Twitter. And what is your uh, your website, sir? Tuckerstuesday.typad.com. Find there all his ramblings and other blog posts. We will put up a uh, a blog po- a uh, link to the blog post about the weighted knobs. So you'll have to send me that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt D. Scott is a uh, an, an integrator, but also a blogger as well. Uh, actually, George and Matt both are, are bloggers for the the rave uh pubs blog squad so uh your twitter is at omega audio video and your website is what uh omega audio video.com mattdscott.com i could go on <laughs> but we'll stop there two's enough you already did your, your shameless plug so uh <laughs> tim schnoffel is from extron uh electronics there in anaheim california the director of education programs uh thank you so much for joining us sir Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Do you have a Twitter? Would you like to tweet? Uh, schnobby. 
S-C-H-N-A-B-B-Y. There we go, Schnabby. At Schnabby. I didn't know that. I, I actually, that's a, I learned something new today. At Schnabby. All right. Uh, Extron's uh, website, in case you didn't know, is extron.com, as crazy as that is. Uh, Chris mm. Tatton is from HB Communications, and it's his birthday today. So, happy birthday. Happy Yay. birthday. Thanks for joining us, dude. What's your uh, your Twitter and your, your company's website and all that? Uh, my company's website is uh, www.hbcommunications.com, and my Twitter is Chris underscore Tatton, T-A-T-T-O-N. T-A-T-T-O-N. All right, uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, for listening this far. I, I do appreciate it if you've made it this far. Uh, if you'd like to follow me, it's uh, TD, Tim David Albright, A-L-B-R-I-G-H-T. But more importantly for me and everybody here at AV Nation, check out the website where you can find this show. Like I said, George Tucker started a brand new uh, live uh, uh, staging show called The Live Life. Uh, all sorts of other ones. Uh, we just posted our education show today for the month of March. Go to ravepubs.com forward slash avnation. Ravepubs.com forward slash avnation. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week.